on Word of Mom Radio. As parents and caregivers, we always want to support our children and can find ourselves worrying about saying the wrong things. That concern can feel even more heightened if our child tells us they are part of the LGBTQA community. My guest today, Kalena Erickson, is the author of the Amazon bestseller, Unconditional, A Guide to Loving and Supporting Your LGBTQ Child, which won the 2017 Bisexual Book Award for Nonfiction. Her poems, essays, and stories have appeared in many online and in-print publications, and she received her MFA in Creative Writing from Anatoc University, Los Angeles. Erickson is the proud mom of two adult children, one of whom identifies as gay. Welcome to Girls That Create, Helena Erickson. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to start with first question. What inspired you to write this guide specifically focused on the parents and families of LGBTQ children? So yeah, that's it's kind of an interesting story. So I'm I'm a writer by trade, and when I was in graduate school, you know, obviously you need a lot of colleagues and everything. And so my friend Marva, she had seen something I had written on a site called Rule Reboot, and it was just basically written from a place of of anger, I guess at that point. I was just really tired of my daughter, you know, being treated by as a second class citizen in the United States of America, you know, just this constant, you know, you can't marry, you can't do this. That's fine if you choose that, but keep it in your home and and just everything like that. So I think my article that I wrote came from kind of a place of anger. And I think it was called something like, uh, when will the world love my daughter as much as I do or something like that? I mean, it was pretty angry, but so Marva had seen that article and she said, hey, you know, Mango, I think was only a couple of years old at this point in time. And so she said, I think that would be a great book. And so actually I wrote it, you know, Mango kind of worked with me and they said, hey, do you want to write this? So it wasn't something that I necessarily dreamed up, but I was like, wow, what an opportunity. You know, I, I did have a lot to say, but the original inspiration for the article, I guess, was just just a place of of disappointment and anger that because you know someone loves someone of the same gender that you're you're different somehow or you're weird somehow and mango is the publisher of your book is that correct 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 yeah in the book i really appreciate you highlighting that in mainstream hollywood you know movies there's kind of like two scenarios when someone comes out there's either the hugs i love you no matter what i will you know i will take yeah, a bullet yeah. for you you're the greatest person ever we know we will do this together and yeah. we will move forward yeah. Yeah. or the kid gets kicked out of the house it's kind of like one or the other and i appreciate right. you kind of highlighting that and saying that actually reality is it's very complex and yes. it can be in a sense very all over the place in a sense and I would love to just kind of hear your thoughts about that and what your family's experience was with your daughter and also the importance of parents and caregivers affirming their love for that child in this very, very vulnerable moment when they're sharing this information. You know, I think for the, the first part of the question, you know, obviously usually the child's been thinking about this talk for like a long period of time, right? Or, you know, even if it hasn't been a super long period of time, they're thinking about it very seriously, like it's occupying a lot of their thoughts. And a parent might not have any clue at all, and they're focused on, oh, my gosh, I've got to pay the cell phone bill, 
and I've got to pick up this this kid from basketball practice, and I've got to buy groceries. I've got to do you know all the the normal things that occupy our day. Go to work. You know, so, I mean, some parents obviously have two jobs. I mean, this might not be on their radar at all. And so I think sometimes those two things, this, the child's been thinking about this very important thing, right? And then the parent's very stressed with daily life. I mean, as we know, people are in all different circumstances. They're in circumstances that I can't even imagine. Um, just, just as a personal example, in the year 2009, which was many years ago, when my sisters committed suicide, my brother-in-law committed suicide, and my dear mother-in-law, my husband's mom, died of brain cancer. She was sick from February to November. So that, in, in my extremely privileged life where I've pretty much always had health care and, you know, things like that, um, that was an extremely tough year on my, my parenting, right? It was all I could do, you know, to, to get everybody from point A to point B. So parents are in a variety of different circumstances, and some of them are in survival mode. And so sometimes when a kid says, I've been questioning my gender, I've been questioning my sexuality, I've had these feelings, a parent is really feels blindsided. And this is not to discount anything that the child's feeling or anything. I'm just, we're, we're, we're both humans in this situation, right? The, ch the child's a very vulnerable human who needs to be protected, right? But the parent's also a human, right, who's dealing with a, a lot of different things. A parent might say something in that moment that they regret, they might say something like, are you sure? This is just the trendy thing to do. Did you see this on TikTok? You know what I mean? But I want to encourage everybody involved. If you say the wrong thing when your child comes out to you, you just need to apologize and you need to sit down and have that discussion. We are all going to make mistakes as parents. There's no perfect parent. There's no perfect child. And we just need to have a discussion with love and honesty and respect. And if we do make a mistake as parents, we need to apologize and to own it, right? So it's not like, I, I'm scared sometimes when people read my book, they're like, oh my God, I said the wrong thing when my kid came out. Their the self-esteem is destroyed. The, our relationship's destroyed. I don't know. Most of our human relationships, if both people are invested and have like good hearts or whatever, most of our human relationships can withstand the conflict, right? There's room for conflict. There's room for growth. There's room for humility on both sides. And so it's very rarely this Hollywood moment of like, and sometimes the Hollywood moments, this was especially true a while ago. I think things are getting a little bit better, but sometimes the Hollywood moments would be like, I love you even though you're gay. Well, gee, thank you. That's so nice to, to hear that even though I have this evidently thing that you think is a flaw, which, you know, I mean, it's just yikes, you know, you know, I mean, affirming love and forgiveness for yourself and, you know, just a place of of love and curiosity and you know it's just um it's just hard sometimes with the stress and pressure of our daily life to always bring that forward right so we just need to be really really kind to each other you know really really kind and, and again own own our mistakes to our children don't pretend we're perfect or anything like that say you know that was a pretty crappy thing that i said when you were trying to have a serious conversation with me and i want to hear more about it right now let's sit down and talk right that's a place of repair and a place of, of forgiveness. So for, for our own, you know, personal circumstances, so my daughter came to us, she was around 12 or 13, I think she was almost 13, and she said that she thought she might like girls, right? There's kind of a, was a situation at her middle school where she had a crush on a teacher, and so we had that discussion with her, 
And I think overall, we both handled it well. My sister, and I say this in the book too, but my sister is lesbian. So I grew up with a gay person in my family. And so to me, it wasn't the shock. I think that it would be to someone who wasn't familiar, who'd never had that experience or anything like that. So I think that I was in a good place. I was still surprised. I hadn't suspected. I really hadn't suspected at that point in time. I wasn't really thinking much about my daughter's sexuality or future. It just, you know, she was in middle school. She was running cross country. She has a younger brother, you know, my son, and he was busy doing stuff. And, you know, like I said, we've had some interesting times in our family. So we've taken care of parents who were ill and stuff like that. So I wasn't, you know, spending a big chunk of my time wondering about my child's sexuality. I just wasn't, you know, and so, so I was, I was surprised, but I was really lucky. I had my sister to call. She was actually the first person I called and, you know, and my sister said something really nice to me. She said, which I needed to hear. And she said, you know, it's really wonderful that she felt comfortable telling you. And I think that that's what parents, even if they think they said the wrong thing, or maybe they don't react perfectly. If your child trusts you enough, to tell you something so tender to them, you've done okay, right? You know what I mean? You have created a home or a place of trust that the, the child's offering this because other kids are so terrified that their, their parents are going to do something that they absolutely will not come out to them. And so I, I think that that was a really wonderful thing. My sister said to me, it felt good. And I think that that's a really wonderful thing for other parents to remind themselves that if your child is trusting you with this information that you've created that space that you can have honest conversations. And that's just crucial. And maybe some of us take that for granted with our kids, but there are families out there that unfortunately for a variety of different circumstances can't have those conversations with their children. A paragraph that I really appreciated in the book, and I want to share it, and I think it actually applies to all parents and caregivers, and we all need to kind of keep this in mind, but it says, don't raise your child to be just someone to brag about. Though we use crazy words like investing in our children, they are not a product. Raise a child who can be a positive, functional person who feels good about themselves. I would love to hear your thoughts about why this line of thinking is essential to parenting and why it's even more crucial if you happen to be a caregiver of an LGBTQ child. I wrote that right and I'm still working on it, right? You know what I mean? I think that we judge ourselves really harshly in America. It's a very competitive place. Parenting is almost a competitive sport. You know, you're like, well, my child took 47,000 AP classes and is driving to the moon this weekend. And, you know, you're just like, I, you know, I give up. Here's the white flag or whatever. You know, you just can't, you just can't compete. So I think unfortunately there's obviously a very, there's, there's a lot of income inequality in America. So there is literally everything from the parents who are worried about the light bill, you know, whether or not the light bill or whether we're going to be homeless, all the way up to I went to a, you know, a summer camp at Stanford this summer, right? So we have, you know, I, my book can't encompass all of those things, right? Like, that's a really hard parenting book to write. So I kind of went for the middle of the road. I was like, you know, we're going to have some of us are going to have resources of time, some of us are going to have resources of money. Some of us are going to have, you know, resources of emotional and, and mental or whatever. But I just really think the, the bottom line here is we need to handle our own stuff as parents, right? Because what that competition and everything, the bragging, is our own insecurity, right? So we're projecting our own insecurity onto our children. So when we're saying that our kid is the best soccer player or our kid is, you know, whatever, fill in the blank, the smartest kid ever that has ever graced, you know, the universe or whatever – 
that's coming from a place of us just desperately wanting to be an okay parent. Look, my kid's turning out really, really well. They're really good at something. I must be a good parent. I must have done a good job. Obviously, what we do is very important. And I wrote a book, right? That, that, that what we do as parents is very important. But also, to a large extent, we just get the child that we get, right? And then we, we are trying to use parenting skills to have that child have the best and healthiest path forward. I'm the youngest of seven children. I just have two children. I've seen other people's families. We get the child that we get, right? Like, I, I don't know how that happens. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't understand the mix of genetics and environment and smarter people than me have tried to. So I believe part of it is we've got this child, right? And so a sporty parent might get a, a kid who just really enjoys looking at bugs right? Or taking walks. Or a nerdy, sciencey, computer science parent might get a kid who just absolutely is a rough and tumble kid and wants to just be out there playing with their friends all the time and climbing trees or, or, or whatever, you know, again, whole, whole gamut of human experience here. So I think we have to just own our own stuff. I think for, for all of us as parents, we, we have to realize that so much of these feelings that we, ha we are having are based on our egos, right? They're just based on our egos not wanting to get hurt. We get so defensive, and I still get very defensive. If anyone says anything about my kids, my kids are 27 and 23, and, you know, it's just this tender spot in us, which, is, of course, is part of it is love, but part of it is you know you've made mistakes, right, because you're a human being. And you know that you have not been a perfect parent because that doesn't exist. And so when there's any sort of criticism from your child or from someone else, it just reaches this very soft and tender part of you. And we just have to accept that. We have to accept that our egos are not running the show, that we are imperfect beings, that we're just doing the best we can, that every criticism or every insult or every, your kid isn't going to the moon this Saturday or whatever, you know, again, crazy circumstances you exist in, we just have to be okay that this is the child we have. These are the parenting resources we have, and we're going to do our best not to push our own stuff onto our kids. Now, why I think this is especially important with LGBTQ children, IAQIA+, is because they are getting so much of that from the outside world. I actually just, I'm a little bit behind in my show watching. I have my favorite shows, you know, and I'm just starting to watch the new season of Queer Eye. And I just watched the episode last night with this lovely lesbian woman, very committed to her partner. And she was talking about this instance where she gave up her seat at the bar for, it was a woman and her daughter, I believe, that had been standing because they were almost done. She and her partner were almost done with their lunch. And so they got up from the bar and then as they were leaving the bar, rather than saying thank you for this lovely gesture that this couple had made, the daughter said something about, was that a man or was that a woman or, you know, are they gay? And it just destroyed her. It was like, here I was, you know, trying to do this nice thing and I just can't handle all this judgment, people judging me all the time. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it's a very good episode. So it's the new season of Queer Eye. I think it's episode two. That happens over and over and over again to our, our kids and our loved ones. So why that's important is that they know that home and they know mom and dad or two moms or two dads or however your family looks, they know that that place is a place that they're not going to be judged, that someone else's stuff isn't going to be pushed onto them. That's why it's so important. Which actually kind of takes me into our next question. People right now, we feel a lot of unease when we're navigating public spaces. 
and that's unfortunately shown up a lot this month. Uh, this is June 2023, Pride Month. Yeah. Um, and then the past several years as well. And you write about an inner conflict. I thought this was interesting because even though as of right now, I don't have a child who identifies, I still feel this even just with my child in general, being out in public and understanding that things are happening that make me uneasy, make me frightened because of what type of person they might encounter. Yeah. And I can only imagine when you're in a space and thinking about, I want my child to be their authentic self. I want them to scream, as they say, loud and proud, just let it all yeah. out, just be right. who they are. Right. But at the same time, you're worried about their safety and emotional well-being. And I, and I definitely want to say that, look, you know, people of color deal with this all the time. And I'm there exactly. for the privilege that I don't have to, you know. Yep. yep. You know, and of course, have, the LGBTQI community contains many people of color and unfortunately trans people of color are among the most persecuted people in our society right now and it's extremely troubling yeah i do want to ask though your thoughts about as a parent caregiver as we're navigating though this kind of conflict because again on the one hand you want to instill that self-confidence on the other hand you're like but be smart because i don't want you to get hurt and unfortunately there are now more and more it seems feels physical incidents happening, or at least we have the technology now that we're capturing them more and more, so we're all more aware of it. Oh, for sure. And right now for our, um, well, for a long time now, our trans brothers and sisters, our trans siblings are particularly dealing with this extremely dangerous and painful issue. This is not appropriate for, for children to read, but for the adults who are interested, there's a wonderful essay by Tori Peters called Transgender Day of Remembrance. And she took one year, I think it was like 2014 or 2015, I'm not exactly what year she took. And she lists the way that the trans people have been murdered in that year. And it's appalling and horrible. It happens throughout the world. You know, I, I feel almost frozen sometimes because it is so dangerous for our trans friends and family right now. So I guess, you know, and the point I make in the book is we do want our children to be their authentic selves, but they can't be their authentic selves if they're not alive. For instance, we tell our, our daughters, our younger sisters, hey, you know, you probably don't want to walk here at night alone. You might want to take a cab or walk with a friend. They should be able to walk anywhere in the United States of America at any time and not be touched, right? That is how I feel about our trans friends and family is that they should be able to go wherever they want to use the facilities wherever they want to and just live their lives as they want to because they're people and they should be able to do that right but that is not our reality right so there is what should happen which is trans people should be safe and protected and have access to the law just like we all do like if a like me nice middle-aged white woman calls 911 and they turn, turn up to my suburban home, I get treated very differently than other people in this world, of course. So I think that you have to pick your battles, right? I know that's kind of a cliche, but you have to pick your battles. And for a space that a person, an LGBTQIA person is going to be in a lot, their home, their school, their sports facility, their art camp, their YMCA camp, whatever, I think we need to battle there. Right. We need to battle in the spaces where our LGBTQI people are going to be in a lot. Okay. And I think if you're on a turnpike and I'm, I'm just using a random state here, I live in Michigan, but if you're on a turnpike in an unknown state <laughs> and you don't, and you're in rural America and you don't know the circumstances or whatever, you might want to take a friend with you into the restroom. 
we need to pick our battles, right? Because we don't want to put, especially a person, a young person, you know, a person under 18, we don't want to put them in a position where they're in danger or they have to advocate for themselves in a way that maybe they're not prepared to do yet. Now, I have met many teenagers who were all set to advocate for themselves, and that's wonderful. The bad side of that is in our teenagers, their brains are not fully developed yeah. yet. And so they may not see the danger in a particular situation that their parents might see, their grandparents might see, other loved ones might see. So we also have to balance that. And hopefully you can have those discussions. I believe that everybody should be out and proud and safe wherever they go. That is, that is my goal. Like what am I trying to do my small part toward that goal, right? In the United States of America and maybe the world, but we are not there yet. And we want more than anything for our children to safely make it to adulthood. That's the number one goal is for them to be alive. So I think we channel our efforts into making the spaces they're in the most as safe as they can be, as accepting, warm, welcoming, affirming as they can be. And then we're cautious in those unknown spaces and take special precautions. I mean, I guess that would be my advice to a parent. And maybe it's not perfect, but we are living in a very imperfect world right now. That's very good right. advice. And with that being an imperfect world, we have bullying, of course, still happens. Yeah. Yeah. And I know parents and caregivers and just adults in the community, you know, the things you can do, you know, to prevent bullying or put a stop to it is to understand the signs of it, to understand yep. that it's happening online and offline. Yes. And I would love to hear your thoughts about what those other actions can be taken. So you can be aware of it and also – and, you know, and of course, this is something that always seems like it, uh, you know, emerges out of nowhere. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, I've got to take, you know, I've got to confront this. I've got to do something. Sure. About it. Well, I think the number one thing in terms of prevention and proactivity is to have that open line of communication with your child. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to tell you right away when they're being bullied. They're, they're going to feel shame about being bullied. They're going to think that they did something to deserve it. They're going to think it might go away. They're going to think maybe a lot of things, you know, hopefully you can have that discussion with them, you know, when they, when you're asking them, how are things going at school, that eventually you will get that honest answer, right? And the signs for bullying, I go over them in my book, but it's a lot of signs that are hard right now because of the pandemic, isolation, depression, you know, like it just, there's a lot right now that's happening with the mental health of Americans, not just young people, not just teenagers, not just preteens. But with everybody, we are really coming off kind of a very difficult time as a country. It's a little hard to see some of those things. But you're looking for, you know, those changes, those changes in behavior, like isolating and things like that, which, again, are, are kind of hard given our circumstances right now. But so an open line of communication. I also really think that if you have time, if you can involve yourself in the school in some way, whether that's attending a school board meeting, whether that is volunteering somewhere, even if it's just to bring addition for teacher appreciation day, or if it's even just stopping by and talking to at conferences, talking to your kids' teachers, the teachers see a lot. And depending on what's available at the school, what age your child's at and all those things, try to be responsive when the school is telling you things. Always, whenever I say anything like this, I understand that many parents are in survival mode. I really do. And I'm not trying to shame you or punish you and say, you need to do one more thing, right? You need to do one more thing on top of just trying to survive. 
but unfortunately, you know, our kids really need us right now. I think at different times in parenting, maybe our kids needed us a little less, but if you have an LGBTQ plus child in today's environment, they really, really need you. But if you are in a, a place of survival mode, we're going to need to get you some help because your child really, really needs you right now. So to make that connection with the school in some way and what to do if you, if, you, if your child is being bullied because of their identity, their gender or sexual identity, and that's a step-by-step thing. The ACLU also has a lot of great resources about bullying if your child is being bullied because of either their race, their religion, their identity, their sexual or gender identity, or any of those things. So the ACLU.org is a great resource. Human Rights Campaign is another great website that has a lot of stuff. There's more resources on my website, tutelana.com. If you go under resources, there is several websites there that talk about bullying, coming out, like different things. They're just links, but it is kind of handy to have them all in one place. One thing I did like in the book is, you know, sometimes teenagers are not the most forthcoming. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, I'm yeah, shocked yeah. by that. Yeah, exactly. I did like your suggestion about maybe finding like a news article or a story or a film, a documentary, or just some kind of piece of media that may let you have a discussion with them. And just something they just, if you think something might be going on with them, then having a more general discussion just to kind of help yes. start that communication and see what they may offer to yes. share with you. Exactly. And that's a great piece of advice, too. If you might suspect that your child might be questioning their sexuality or their gender identity, then that's also a really great tack to take to start that conversation without going, are you, you know, gay or whatever? It shouldn't be a a negative thing at all, but it can sound weird. Stuff can just sound weird just because you're a parent. You know what I mean? Like Things can just sound strange because you're the parent and they're the child. So, you know, you can talk about trans person in the news. You can talk about pride. Do you have any pride activities near you? You can talk about what's going on for pride. Or if uh, author's coming to visit a local bookstore or library, you can have a conversation about that where you're kind of opening a door. You're just leaving it open. And so I think that that's a really, a really wonderful thing to do. You discussed, you know, kind of previously we talked about the importance of parents and caregivers reaching out to others, like, you know, you had a sister that you could reach out to and why that's important. What should parents and caregivers consider when they're trying to build that support system for their kiddo, when they're kind of thinking about, okay, this is great. I've now, how am I going to find people, networks, groups, things that you can be involved with that I know you will be seen and supported and cherished for who you are? It's wonderful if your high school has a GSA. It's a GSA used to be Gay Straight Alliance, but now I think it's Gender Sexuality Alliance is the new. So if your high school or middle school has a GSA, that's a really wonderful built-in meeting that your child can attend. Great. It's already right there at their school. So, and if you don't have one at your school, I highly recommend that maybe you might advocate for one or uh, talk to someone about getting one because it also really does reduce the instances uh, bullying based on sexual or gender uh, identity. Uh, GSA really at a, at a school just drops those bullying numbers way down, which is really, really wonderful. So I think that's one built in place. Affirming churches. A lot of us are people of faith, um, but there are a lot of affirming churches out there. And so that sometimes there's a youth group or they're getting a positive message every Sunday, you know, that just everyone's included, that we're all here, that we're all people of faith. There are out centers, which I'm just think the world of. So out centers are in all different parts of the country. There even are out centers in rural areas. Sometimes they're a couple counties away, 
but they have all sorts of programming for teens. They actually have programming for all ages, but they have really wonderful book clubs and get-togethers. Sometimes there's crafts. Sometimes there's free counseling. Like, it just depends on the Out Center, what's available. They're just wonderful resources. Reaching out to family and friends. We all know someone in the LGBTQ community, you know. I mean, we all know multiple people, probably. And I think it's a really great opportunity to reach out to your family and friends who are LGBTQ and say, hey, you know, I have my, my kiddo just told me that they're gay or my kiddo just told me they're questioning their gender identity or they're bisexual or whatever the case may be. Any tips for me? Or do you know of any other resources? Or can, hey, they maybe have lunch with you on a Saturday and just talk over any questions that they might be uncomfortable talking to me about because, you know, I'm a straight person. I think we have to get out of our comfort zones, right? And we have to access those resources. But again, those are, that's even more crucial if you're kind of overwhelmed as a parent to reach out to the community members, those community services like the Out Center, to our the, the services that our school provides, that community mental health, like an affirming therapist. You know, if your child's really going through some emotional things surrounding their gender identity or surrounding anything, really, just growing up right now, right? Just right. anything. There's a community mental health, or whatever your equivalent is in your state, has free therapy and, you know, a lot of times your health insurance, if you have health insurance, that would cover that for your teenager and stuff as well. We're going to take a short break for a word from our sponsors. She is brave. She is bold. She is you. And we want to tell your story. Are you ready to share your journey with us on Word of Mom Radio? Go to wordofmomradio.com and register as a guest. We want to tell your story because when you win, we all win. Unsilenced Voices has been working diligently in Ghana, Sierra Leone, Rwanda, and the USA to combat domestic violence, sexual abuse, and human trafficking. We currently have over 50 young girls on a wait list in Sierra Leone to go through a vocational training program to get them off the streets and out of harm's way. We have gifted over $33,000 to U.S. survivors and are looking for volunteers and donors to help us continue our cause. Please visit us at www.unsilencedvoices.org. Again, unsilencedvoices.org for more information. Hi, everyone. Erin here. I want to give a shout out to our Word of Mom radio sister show, Be Our Planet Solution. Hosted by Tanya Torellis, the show focuses on all the impactful ways people and businesses are being green. There's only one Earth. Listen to Be Our Planet Solution to discover how others are working to protect it and learn what we can all do for this amazing planet. Don't let the name fool you. StadiumBags.com is not just for sports fans. Our clear bags make it easier for you to get into any venue that you go to. And in today's world where we are so concerned about germs, the materials that our bags are made with are strong enough to stand up to the solvents that you can use to clean your bag so you know you come home safely. So check out StadiumBags.com. You'll see why we are the clear choice. Because safety, it's in the bag. And we're back with the Girls That Create podcast on Word of Mom Radio. My guest today is Talena Erickson, author of Unconditional, A Guide to Loving and Supporting Your LGBTQ Child. What advice do you offer parents who may be struggling with their beliefs or religious convictions regarding accepting their child's sexual orientation or gender identity? Because I think that the parent, also in your world, is very much flipped upside down. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we could we could get into this very deep philosophical conversation here about 
the nature of God, right? What the nature of God is. Okay, we'll start there and then we'll get a little bit more narrow. Whatever your religious beliefs are, if you believe that God is a authoritarian father or parent waiting to punish you for a set of rules that you did or didn't follow, then I think that you need, again, to look at your own issues because the God that made this beautiful universe that we haven't, we can't see the edges of, right? Because it's continually expanding a God that made so many different galaxies that we can't really even count them and that we have all this space stuff up there, like going through, you know, looking at everything that's just miraculous. You know, if you really think that that God cares whether your child wants to marry someone of the same gender, then again, I think there's some issues there in your own faith, right? Like that God is all love and all encompassing and that we here are the imperfect ones, right? We're we're the imperfect ones. <laughs> you know, God God's not asking us to be perfect, in my opinion. So, all right, we'll put aside the theology there for a second. But again, you have to deal with your own issues as a parent. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the second set of issues is are you worried about your child going to hell or are you worried about how you look to your church family? That's the second question I would ask you. So are you afraid your church family is going to look at you and say, You are a bad parent because you raised a gay kid or a trans kid or whatever, fill in the blank. Is that your issue? How appearances? And then the final question is, is your child's relationship with God going to be their business? It is their business always. But when they turn 18 years old, it is technically their business, right? So if you're not having anything to do with your child because your faith says that gay people are evil, then that's a choice that you're making because their faith and their relationship with God is their business right? They, they're going to find their path and in their way. So I don't think that God makes mistakes, right? Like, I mean, that's another cliche, but if you really believe in divinity and all those things, do you think that any sort of love, when an expression of love, an expression of togetherness, uh, an expression of living a life together, how is that profane? How is a loving relationship, regardless of gender, sexuality, how your body looks, like whatever, How is a loving relationship where people who are trying to take care of each other and love each other and exist in this very flawed world together and be there for each other, how could that ever be a sin or profane instead of something beautiful and positive, right? And that, to me, relationships are the ballast against all the stuff that happens in the world. I think most people who get up every day and need to do what they need to do are living for the people that they love. And to me, that can never be a sin. I feel the same way. I basically, Mike, there's so much sadness, trauma, hardship in the world. So who am I to be grumpy about anyone who just wants to love each other and be good people? Exactly. Exactly. 100%. 100%. I do want to talk about being an advocate for your child. And you talked about, you know, some teenagers have already kind of figured out and they, you know, know, advocates for themselves. But They can teach me lessons. Exactly. They can teach all those lessons. And you explain this, though, in a really lovely way in the book. You write that real advocacy is working to correct the imbalance of power that might occur in situations where your child is at a disadvantage. Can you expand on ways that families can advocate for your child? Like suddenly you see something going on, you hear something, and you just realize that you need to step in and say something on behalf of your child. Like suddenly it's out of their hands and they are treading water. Right. In the book, I I make the difference between emailing the teacher because they got a B, the kid feels that they should have gotten an A, I mean, in the long term, life is not fair. I mean, I, I feel horrible saying that, you know, because we want life to be fair, but it just isn't fair. And, you know, you're 
your seventh grader should have maybe gotten the A, but is it really that big of a deal? It's seventh grade. It doesn't go on their college transcript. Why are we worried, right? You know what I mean? It's just like, why, what's going on here? Now, if your child is repeatedly getting lower grades because of their, you know, sexual or gender identity, that is a different issue. If there's a bigoted teacher or whatever, then, then that's a separate issue. But as a parent, just sometimes we want to save our child from any sort of disappointment or hurt. That's just a natural thing. Well, they put in the effort for an A, they should have gotten an A. Well, yeah, advocacy is something different. And that is, like you said, when they're drowning, right? That's when maybe a coach has been super unfair or someone saying something in youth group repeatedly. And then I think you really need to step in as a parent because there's that power there, right? There's that power differential between the system, whatever that system is, church, school, workplace, whatever it is, and then your minor child, right? And systems have a way of making sure the system continues on, right? And everyone in the system is receiving some benefit, or not everyone, the people who are perpetuating the system are seeing the benefits of the system, right? So advocacy is trying to disrupt that system so that you can get a more just and equitable outcome for your child. Your child's going to experience discomfort. They're going to probably have someone say something in the hall that you don't want them to have said that they're a bad person. But if it's one thing, if a person says an offhand comment or something like that, that's not necessarily bullying. So that's why we need to get more information about what happened from your child, from the school or for the institution, and then take steps from there. And I just really recommend documenting everything when you were advocating because People are going to say, I never got that email, or what did we say? You have to document every conversation. So, like, if you have a conversation with a principal or a pastor or anything like that, you have to document it, document it right after the conversation. Usually email works really well for that. So that there is a record that you were in the office, you did talk to the person Mm -hmm. about the situation. Uncomfortable things are going to happen, unfortunately, as we all have, have had growing up. The difference between that and stepping in and advocating is that usually a system more powerful than your child's involved and also whatever's happening is a chronic problem. I was just thinking in a lot of times when we enter the workforce, that's actually some of the first advice a lot of us get is to make sure we document interaction with our coworkers, with yes. our supervisors, yes. HR, you yes. learn that. And it's interesting to think about just think, applying those same learned lessons and just think, okay, well, I've got to treat what's happening with my kiddo kind of like an HR incident, a sense. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely, it's, it's very sad to have to give that advice. And you get everything from principals who are absolutely appalled that anything happened, who are very responsive and who will immediately address it, to principals who think it's not that big of a deal, why are you bothering them, teachers the same way. You, it's the whole gamut of experience. And the best way to deal with the whole gamut of experience is to document, right? Because you do not know how the person's going to react when confronted with this situation. So you just have to see why. Right. Because we don't get to choose who we interact with. We don't get to we, choose who our kids are going to interact we, with. Exactly. And we don't get to choose the people in administration and the, the school district we happen to be in or who's there is who's there. And so we have to, unfortunately, document it. So even if my own family doesn't have an LGBTQ plus member, how can we support families who do have someone in their family who identifies that way? And how can we be part of their support system? Oh, that's a a really great question. And I, I think it's so important right now. You can really get involved if you're a parent or a caregiver. 
You can really get involved at the school, the school level, wherever your children are going to school at, to make sure that the school is a safe and affirming place for LGBTQ youth. That can be done through advocating for GSA, like I mentioned previously. That can be done for advocating for books that address gay issues or have gay characters or LGBTQ characters. Those are really important things when those books are taught. Just as a part of normal curriculum, history or English, it doesn't have to be LGBTQ studies. Just when books are incorporated into the normal high school curriculum, again, those instances of bullying drop because people understand those people are not others, right? They are just people, and they've been parts of history. They have been enormous parts of literature. So advocating for books at the middle school and high school level that are age-appropriate, that include gay characters or access to those in libraries. I think if you can go, again, those school board meetings are becoming very contentious in different places. And if you can, you know, take the time and go to one and say, hey, this information needs to be available at our library. It needs to be available at our school. There's tons of age-appropriate materials. We're not asking that inappropriate things be at the high school or at a middle school. There are many, many, multiple, lovely resources that are age-appropriate for kids 10 to 18. They're just lovely children's books, lovely things that are explained in appropriate manners. So that's another great way is to get involved at the library or at the school. I think to talk in a positive way about LGBTQ people is just a very important thing. Again, use those news stories, use famous athletes, politicians, just in your own family to show that people, positive people, just trying to live their lives, having a family, a profession, and that there's nothing other about them. And I think, too, if someone reaches out to you and, you know, comes out or comes out that they're their child or whatever, you know, just be really loving and to thank them for sharing that information with you and, you know, to ask if they need any support, especially depending on what community that they live in. And then I think, you know, vote for people who are more hopeful, vote for people who are accepting and affirming and exercise your civic rights and donate to causes that you believe in and that you would want your, if your child were gay, to have access to. I really appreciate it in the book that you included a lot of firsthand experiences, people who shared their own stories on all sorts of different topics. What encouraged you or inspired you to add that in the book for readers? I was very aware that me and my my daughter are just one story, me and my sister. We're just one story. We are a white family in Michigan. I grew up in rural America. My daughter grew up in suburban Michigan, uh, East Lansing, well, East Lansing slash city slash suburb, whatever. And I was very aware that the LGBTQ community is huge, right? And the allies community is huge too. And so I just wanted to include a lot of different voices. And I actually had someone ask me why I didn't ask any children to contribute. And I was like, well, they're, all the people in there were children, right? Like, and I, I just was trying to imagine me going up to a 10-year-old who was questioning their their gender and say, hey, do you want to write something for my book or can I interview with that? And I was like, that would be so awkward. So, of course, I chose people who were age 18 and up to contribute. And I also think that that was powerful because it allowed people to reflect on what had worked for them, right? Because they were adults and they could see these are the things that my parents did right. And these were the things that maybe I wish had been a little bit different. So I just felt it was just really important knowing that we just have our one experience and how varied the community really is. I just thought it was really important to have people from different 
backgrounds and races and religions. And I just thought that that was just something that the book could really benefit from, both to for an ally to read and for everyone's understanding that the community is just so large and so varied. Absolutely. I think one of the things I'm hopeful about, I'm optimistic about, is I think how much has changed since I was in high school, which was in the 90s. I will date myself. Yeah. Yep. But, you know, kids these days don't really understand these monumental shifts we've had in the last 20 years. And yep. I think it's important that you did capture those stories about what people went through and their experiences. Yep. And one thing I do want to touch on, I feel maybe older parents sometimes feel a little bit unsteady with all this very, we're, we're going through a rapid mm-hmm. growth and change and understanding. Yep. And what does all this mean? And yeah. What is all these different ways of identifying your sexuality? And that can feel very foreign. And yeah. I would love to just chat real quick about that idea of being kind to yourself, that you may feel uneasy and you may feel like this is very odd. And just because you didn't grow up with it, I think the challenges for older generations is we're going through this very exceptional growth in how people identify. Mm-hmm. And it's understanding and learning and asking questions and being open to the direction that is all taking us. Yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree. And I do think we need to be kind to ourselves, especially, unfortunately, I have misgendered people a couple of times when I knew them as a previous gender identity. And then it has taken me and I just, I apologize, right? It it takes, it takes some time if you've known someone as different pronouns and then there's new pronouns to you, not there, them, but to you. And I have never had anyone, I, I just say, I'm so sorry. I used the wrong pronoun there. Please forgive me. Never once has any of my non-binary or trans people ever said, oh my God, I can't believe you, because I I caught myself and I apologize. I think what is very hurtful is when people do it on purpose, where they're like, I'm not going to give you your new pronoun because that's not real. Well, yes, it is real. And that wasn't an honest mistake, right? That wasn't a, my mind didn't quite catch up to the new information, like it was still accessing old information, right? I think people get very, and this happens with race too, people get very defensive. It's called white fragility, right? So people get very defensive about things they don't know, things they're uncomfortable with, it's very scary, things that we don't know. And so I think you just need to to learn more things. There's easy ways of doing that. You can follow LGBTQIA creators on social media platforms that you enjoy. You can follow LGBTQIA. You can read books. There's tons of wonderful books. Please don't expect members of the community to educate you, like, unless they want to, right? That's fine. If you have a very, if it's your son or your daughter or whatever, and they want to say, hey, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, read this book, that's fine. That's they're, they're offering that to you because they're close to you. But, you know, if you just see someone in the grocery store and ask what their pronouns are and, you know, don't expect that poor person to educate you, right? They're just trying to, like, get their bread, you know what I mean? Just just leave them be, right? So, you know, you can educate yourself. We have never lived in a time with more information. So, but I would use credible sources. Don't just Google and look at what comes up on the first page. Actually get recommendations from places like I've mentioned before, the ACLU, Like Mango has tons of, my publisher has tons of great LGBTQ books written by LGBTQ content creators. If you have friends who are gay, they can recommend books. Don't just Google and and, and like what comes up on the first page of Google and then, you know, say you're educated because that's that's, that's not it. Don't do that in general with anything actually in life. (laughs) Exactly. 
I think, too, again, just deal with your stuff, right? Like, just deal with your stuff. Because if you are lashing out at a 22-year-old for being non-binary or trans, they're not the problem you are. Because they're just doing their thing, living their life, trying to be okay, doing their thing, trying to make ends meet. And you're the one that has the problem with their pronouns. They don't have a problem with their pronouns, right? So that's your stuff. And why are you feeling that way? Well, you're feeling that way because you've been programmed by a society that this is masculinity and this is femininity and there's nothing in between and whatever. Well, there's a ton of stuff in between and there always has been. There's been intersex people, there's been non-binary people, there's been trans people, literally since the beginning of time. So you just need to deal with your own stuff. That has nothing to do with them. They're not doing anything to you, right? Unless they literally come over and like hit you in the head with something, then they're doing something to you. But just asking for a certain name and certain pronouns, why are you having such a problem with that? That is your issue, not theirs. What final message or takeaway would you like parents to have after reading this book? Really just be kind to yourself, be loving, try not to parent from a place of ego and defensiveness, be curious, continue to learn new things, ask for help if you are in survival mode, Um, lean on your community to help with your child, lean on other communities to help with your child, but mostly just the the name is uh, unconditional, and I really think that, again, we are just given this child. We have this child for, yes, their entire lives or our entire lives or whatever, but really putting in the hard labor, like those 18 years, right? And so if you're, you're having a really hard day, just remember that day that you got your child, however you got your child, your child was born, adopted, fostered, however, but the day that you got your child and how excited you were and how loving you felt, and remember that that's the same person. Whatever else is going on, it is the same person. And how can you work together with that person that you love so deeply for them to have a successful future and for you to be there to support them. Like how, how can you do that? Fantastic. Helena Erickson, thank you for being on Girls That Create. And thanks so much for having me, Erin. I really appreciate it. To all of you tuning in, thank you for joining us on the Girls That Create podcast on Word of Mom Radio. I want to leave you with a short sentence from Erickson's book about the parenting journey. Do express your love and support to your child frequently. Try to spend some extra time together. Here's our closing theme song by Smith Sisters and the Sunday Drivers. Till next time, this is Erin Prather Stafford. She is sure. She is sure. She is strong. She is strong. She is true. She is true.